welcome to Love Alexi. My name's Alexi Wasser. I'm your host, and this is my podcast. And my guest today, oh, it's a very important, it's a major political day here on the Love Alexi podcast. Uh, my guest today is the brilliant, badass, brave Lucy Flores. She's an attorney, a social justice advocate, a former Nevada assemblywoman, a defender of equal opportunity. She ran for Congress in 2016. Did you guys run for Congress in 2016? Neither did I, but Lucy did, and she's here to talk about it. Uh, and now Lucy is on the board of Our Revolution, which is Bernie Sanders' movement, uh, which is completely dedicated to mobilizing and helping progressive people get elected. So this is a very big day. Usually I'm just flirting with uh, directors or creatives on the Love Alexi podcast or, you know, talking about dating with uh, with with girls here. Um but today I try to uh, I try to get I try to elevate myself a bit. But very early on in this uh, in this conversation, you will hear me go uh, just trying to like get out my first sentence of the conversation of the of the chat. Um, here's the thing. So Lucy and I we talk about her personal journey because she has a fascinating story. Uh, we talk about her coming of age struggles, overcoming obstacles, and how like against all odds she became the incredible woman she is today. Um, I'm telling you guys, you got to trust me. She's this brave, smart, inspiring badass. We talk about how all of us can get involved and make change, uh, you know, with everything that, that we're being threatened by now that the fucking monster is about to become our president. Um, you know, because a lot of us, me included, are confused about what we can do and how we can help and uh, and make a difference because it all just seems so overwhelming and like everything is and, that, and, that, and like you know as if we're just fucked. So I think it's really important that we don't just roll over and fall into despair or feel powerless. Uh, you know, because personally, I wanna I wanna try. I wanna at least try to be useful and channel all of my energy in a constructive, helpful way. So listen to our conversation. Maybe you'll be inspired to do something. And uh, to find out more about Lucy Flores, go to lucyflores.com. You can follow her on Twitter at Lucy Flores, Instagram uh, at Lucy Flores NV. Other things I want to mention, uh, the Million Women, the Million Women March in Washington, D.C. is coming up on January 21st, the day after the inauguration. Uh, by the way, I'm still sick. Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry, you guys. I gotta get. I gotta get back on track. If not for me, for you, for you guys who are forced to listen to me, sound like like a monster. Um, oh no, I think I just referred to Trump as a monster, and now I'm referring to myself as a monster. I gotta stop calling myself a monster and just reserve that for Trump. Anyway. Um, so the Million Women March is uh, coming up on January 21st in Washington, D.C., the day after the inauguration, but there are going to be mirror marches all over the place. I live in Los Angeles, and there's going to be one here. And for all that info, you can just Google it. Uh, it's all over the Internet. I don't know if you've heard of it. The Internet its this major thing, the World Wide Web or whatevs. Uh, and I posted all about uh, mirror marches and, and uh, the march in Los Angeles uh, on my Facebook with all the details. Um, also, I do want to say I'm emceeing an incredible event this Saturday, January 14th from 5 p.m. to 1 a.m. It's called the Catharsis Carnival, and it was organized by Whitney Bell. You can find her on Instagram at Kid Bell, and that's spelled K-I-D-D period Bell. Because um, here's the thing. All of us, we I, again, we all want to be active, 
but we don't know what to do. And this charity event helps it's, it's going to help a number of incredible nonprofits like Planned Parenthood, The Trevor Project, Equality California, Dig Deep, Muslims for Progressive Values, Happy Period, Black Lives Matter. Uh, the performers include uh, Kate Berlant. Oh, my God. She's so fucking hilarious, you guys. Ugh, I'm going to try to stop cursing. But I just have to be free to be me when I'm talking about how much I love Kate Berlant and all these other performers who are going to be at the, at the Catharsis Carnival this Saturday, January 14th. Um, okay, so Kate Berlant, Dan Levy, uh, these comedians are incredible. Gabby Dunn, there'll be DJ sets from Madame Gandhi, Empress of, Holy Child. Um, there's going to be art from numerous artists, including Kate Micucci and my bestie, Penelope Gazin. There's going to be shopping, live tattooing, carnival games, dancing, booze, food, charities, and so much more that I can't even include in this intro. So just be there. For tickets and info, go to abenefitforchange.org. Once again, that's abenefitforchange.org. And that's the number four, not the word F-O-R. It's type in the, the numeral four, a benefit for change.org. All right. So, and tickets are $20, $20, buy them now online and you can go with all your friends. You can rage, you can flirt, you can have fun. And it's all, it's just, and it's for so many great causes. So that is very exciting. And I'm really lucky that Whitney reached out to me and that I get to be a part of it in any way, shape or form and help or whatever. Side note, just as a thought to be on theme on par with, with uh, today's episode, this week's episode of the Love Alexi podcast, I've been wanting to do this. I'm going to tack on, I am going to tack on Madonna's full acceptance speech at the Billboard Women in Music um, uh, award ceremony thing uh, this, this past, you know, 2016, accepting her icon award. I'm going to tack that on at the end of today's podcast. All right. And I, I ask you, because I had to do this, let's push aside the fact that her voice Sounds a bit affected, all right? Uh, you know, and she's, she's reading from a teleprompter, okay? Let's push that aside and focus on her powerful words because, my God, I fucking love Madonna. She's a badass, and, uh, and I, I, I get so irritated when I hear, like, people give her so much shit, and I hate people telling her how to be and what to do and what a woman of a certain age should be like and blah, 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 yackety-schmackety. Madonna does what she fucking wants to do, and everyone else can get fucked, okay? She represents an example and essentially grants permission uh, to women to age and be and do whatever it is you want to do. I mean, even though we technically don't need anybody's permission, it's really nice to have women who lead by example and are fearless badasses. So, you know, so check out her speech at the end of this podcast. Um, and by the way, Women who lead by example, that's like my guest, Lucy, on today's episode. It's, it's all coming full circle. Are you getting it? There's a theme here. Okay, anyway, Whitney, Lucy, Madonna, me. Can I be in that club too? Oh my God, I'm humiliated. Okay, anyway, you know what I'm saying. Here's the deal. All that aside, I would just like to say, if you'd like to be friends with me on social media, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, all that at Alexi Wasser. If you like this podcast, the Love Alexi podcast, subscribe on iTunes, rate the show, tell all your friends. 
But now I'm going to shut the fuck up and uh, throw us over to my conversation with the awe-inspiring Lucy Flores. Now entering Nerdist.com. Here she comes. Ready? Mm -hmm. Come on in, it's happening. Thank you. You guys already met Aristotle. We did. Lucy. <laughs> Very big day. Um, you, you want to sit there? Is that this right? One? Okay. Yeah. That's usually my guess. It, but okay. You can sit anywhere you want to sit. Oh my goodness. That looks as good as any other place. Let's get, yeah. Let's get cozy. God, you got fancy headphones if you like them. We they do. are very fancy. Yes, very, if you want, if you want to wear them. Um, <laughs> God, I'm so loud in my head. Well, happy New Year. Happy New Year. Um, how do you know? Because I'm so excited. Oh, uh, Nando set this up. Yes, he did. Former podcast, Love Alexi podcast guest. The only other political person I've had on this podcast. <laughs> and now he wants. Which to I listened to that. podcast. You did. It wasn't that political? It wasn't. Okay, but this is going to be political because I'm not going to be trying to have sex with you. So. <laughs> I mean, that's I think that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I was so hoping you would never listen to any of these podcasts, but you're a smart woman, and why wouldn't you? I listened to several. They were very good. Well, thank you. Yeah. But I think that what's important is I am not a very political person. Obviously, I care about everything that's happening, and you being here is to uh, help me learn what I can do, help my listeners who are probably not as, you know, who are concerned with everything that's going on with... Trump uh, having been elected. So this is important for an audience and a host uh, who doesn't know that much about politics. Well, and that <laughs> represents a majority of the American people. I mean, this yeah. is important. You know, yeah. I, I have conversations like this all the time and I do shows that are not political and shows that are political. But I think it's important because we also as policymakers and as leaders, we tend to live in our own little bubble. I mean, yeah. that's just what we do as humans. We live in our own little bubble. Yeah. And we forget that people aren't as hypersensitive to, you know, the various things that we're working on and talking about. And and we just were like, we take it for granted that people don't follow politics every single day and they yeah. don't know exactly, you know, who the who Trump's nominees are yeah. and what those nominees do, et cetera, right? And so, like, this is actually really important for both of us. Yeah. It's important for me to, you know, always remember that the everyday person is worried about their life, yeah, right? And then it's also my job to kind of talk about why what we do is also important for their life. Yeah, of right? course. And what those connections are. And I have so many questions for you because, you know, I was researching you and I talked to Nando and, you know, you have such an amazing story. So I, I definitely want to, if there's some kind of, uh, you know, linear thing we're going to follow, I want to know about how you got to where you are, like how you, you know, coming of age and your upbringing and your whole, you have this incredible story. You know, it's your story. But uh, <laughs> And then, and I also want to touch on why this happened, why Trump was like, how did this even happen? And instead of falling into despair or right. uh, feeling helpless or, you know, because everybody's very yeah. hypersensitive now and heightened and uh, feeling helpless. And I'm, I want to ask you, like, how I can or my listeners or anybody who hears this, how we can channel our energy and uh, into something, into something good, yeah. into something helpful, into something, yeah. you know, 
helpful. I'm ready. Tell ready me to everything. Answer all of that. So wait, so you're born. <laughs> so you ran for Congress. I did. You did yeah, just recently. We're starting further back. Listen, <laughs> I'm all over. The, I'm tangential. I'm just getting over cold. I did mushrooms for New Year's Eve. You know, not that okay. I by myself. It's, I, I, this is about you, though. Okay, I already talked. about I won't that. express an opinion. On okay. That. Oh no. Okay. okay. Oh no. <laughs> Oh my god! I, I, you might be in mushrooms right now, for all I know. I mean, it's possible. I mean, who knows anymore? No, I want you to get elected. It's or whatever you want to happen for your life. So I don't want to ruin your career because you were on this podcast making jokes. But um, so okay, your household. How did you end up in politics? Like, tell me the story of your life. I'm going to sit back, smoke a cigarette. Okay, I don't even smoke. Don't cigarettes. do any shrooms. I won't do shrooms. Okay. Don't want to. Never want to again. Um, <laughs> But I mean, you, you, okay, tell me your incredible story. Tell my listeners the story of your life. Cause, yeah. yeah. So um, it's a long story, Ready. but I've learned to make it short over the years. We've got two hours, baby. <laughs> We've got two gosh darn hours. You are a powerhouse. You're the most important guest I've ever had on this podcast. I doubt that's it's true. It's true. But... No disrespect to the other boneheads. I love them. I flirted with them. I've dated them. I befriended them. Everybody has a place in my life and my heart. You're the real deal. So hit it. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate that. Um well, so I always refer to myself as an accidental politician. Um, and the reason why is because the things that I've done now, and I've really managed to have some incredible opportunities and to really work on some amazing things as a policymaker, as a, a leader. Um, I'm currently also on the board of Our Revolution, which is the national board that Bernie Sanders established after uh, his primary loss. I recently was appointed to um, what we're calling the Unity Commission, uh, and that was to bring together the progressive uh, branch of the Democratic Party and the more moderates, you know, basically like the Bernie camp and the Hillary clan mm-hmm. camp. And Clan? Did you say clan? I heard that. <laughs> I was kidding. I keep going. <laughs> the camps. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, try to figure out a, a more inclusive way of doing our elections, because that was a very big point of contention this year, right? So, I mean, I just... I've I've gotten to do some really amazing things. I was the first Latina ever elected to the state legislature in the history of Nevada back in 2010, uh, ran for lieutenant governor, um, and I'm just very, very proud of – I'm also a, an attorney, and, and actually now that um, I'm no longer in at least elected politics, I'm the vice president of public affairs at Me Too. What's Me um, Too? It's a digital media company. Uh, it's actually the largest Latino digital media company. We have 16, 17 million Latino millennials and multicultural millennials. Um, that we talk to every single day. Um, we're the we're we're the largest. Like so do you know me too? Oh, well, no. Well, thank God well, we're all here he's, today. He's he's a part of like, you know, the 2% that doesn't know who we are. Don't forget about that mic, Aristotle. <laughs> Don't forget about that mic if you need to jump on the mic. But go on. <laughs> me too. So, um, and, you know, living in L.A. now. And so, you know, that's kind of the now. Um, yeah. in, in a very, very, very small nutshell. Um, but that's not always where I was um, headed. That's not what people envisioned that I would end up doing based on where I came from. Where did and you come from? I was born here in Glendale. Um, and, you know, I, I just experienced a lot of challenges, a lot of um, just a lot, a lot of challenge um, growing up. And and the reason why I'm so open about it is because that is ultimately what inspires my public service and my advocacy every single day, because families in this country are still experiencing similar challenges, similar burdens. Um, and, and especially now in our economy, um, that is so disproportionately affecting um, low-income 
families in this country. So I grew up in um, Las Vegas, but I moved there after two of my eldest brothers, one of my dad's firstborn, um, were murdered because of drug and gang violence in East L.A. Yeah. Um, so my dad, you know, took all of us who were underage and took us to Las Vegas and tried to start over. Um, and, you know, we were low income immigrant family. We, we did make do like so many families do in this country. Um, it wasn't until my mom left my family when I was nine, she decided that, um, that was not her thing. Where did she go? Uh, she decided to leave. She divorced my dad and left us. Um, you talk to her anymore? uh, No, I don't. Um, it's been, it's been many, many, many years. And you know, that was a very, uh, dysfunctional, very terrible, you know, relationship. Um, and so she left and that was really hard on me. I was nine years old and my two little brothers were three and four years old. Um, we were a big family. My dad still had, there's 11 of us total. Oh my God. Um, so three moms, but there was still, uh, five of us in the home and it was just really hard. And I didn't understand what was happening and why and why my mom decided that she was going to leave. And um, given that situation, my dad was literally working day and night um, to just keep us clothed, fed, housed. I uh, didn't have a whole lot of positive role models or a whole lot of aspiration, but I did have a lot of negative role models and a lot of bad things going on in my community. Um, It was a really low income community in Las Vegas. So Even despite the fact that I was in gifted and talented education in school, I didn't have the support that I needed when that happened. And so I quickly started getting involved with the wrong people, hanging out with gangs, et cetera, um, ditching school, running away, all of the bad things that young people get into. How old are you then? I was, that was, I started basically around having a lot of problems around 10, 11. And you got into a gang when you were 10 or 11? When I was 12. You were 12. Um, and by 15, I ended up on juvenile parole. Um, what did you, you know, do to get there? Um, it was a lot of, I did a lot of theft related crimes. So, you know, the things, the, the, and that's another reason why I work so actively on criminal justice reform is because we have this thing called the school to prison pipeline. Say that again. School to prison pipeline. School to prison pipeline. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's where our young people are, are put into a trajectory where they don't have a lot of opportunity to start to break that cycle once they're put into that system. So for example, when I was running away from home, when I was ditching school, rather than when I was shoplifting, which were the minor crimes that I started getting involved in, um, you know, when I started hanging out with, um, you know, these bad influences, um, I was arrested and I was processed and I was taken to a a detention facility that is just like jail. Um, I was strip searched when I was 12 years old. Oh, my goodness. And you can imagine, you know, standing there naked, not even a fully developed body yet, and being treated like any other criminal would going through the system as if I had maybe murdered someone or did something serious, right? It didn't matter. You were treated the same way. I was fingerprinted, mugshot, um, put into a cinder block cell, um, orange jumpsuit, sh- body shackled. I mean, you yeah. know, you're, you're, tr- and, and think of it, you're, you have a 12 year old yeah. who ditched school and, and that's the system that they're getting exposed to. Just cut and dry and no. And then, in right. And so, 
when we say that there's a school to prison pipeline, it's because we are automatically putting a lot of our kids into the system as opposed to giving them the resources that they needed. I needed a counselor. I needed someone to to be there for me and to, you know, say it's going to be okay, Lucy, your mom left, but you're going to make it, you know? So, you know, so that's kind of what's, what definitely started it and, and getting put into the system and it quickly escalating. So, you know, by the time I was 15, I was stealing cars. I was really, I was doing beer runs. You know, I joke all the time where I'm like, listen, if we're ever stuck anywhere, I will figure it out. You got this. God, you're just a I got some skills, oh okay? My God, yeah. um, <laughs> oh my goodness! But you know, in, in all seriousness, um, you know, I the the crime started escalating to the point where you know I got on probation and um, you know, and eventually was sent away um, to a prison facility. Oh my God. Um, and then when I was released, I was expected to do better because that's also the back end of our system where people are released and. They have no resources. I was sent into the same family, the same dysfunction, the same neighborhood, the same everything. So and yet you're help. expected to do better. Yeah. Right. And I didn't do better. Um, I tried, but I ended up reoffending. And um, really the turning point for me was my parole officer. Um, the person that I got, and I say this often, is that um, so much of what happens to our young people who are stuck in these situ- who are born into these situations, so much of their outcome is dependent on luck and whether or not they're lucky enough to get some kind of intervention, some kind of intervening person or event or something that happens in their life. And for me, it was my parole officer because she literally was the first person going through that entire system that treated me like a kid with problems oh instead of just a bad kid. Yeah, like your guardian angel. Absolutely. I mean, like that is literally the way that I see this woman, Yeah, you know, and she had the opportunity at one point to revoke my parole. She had the opportunity to send me back. Why why would happen? I ended up. So at that time, I actually was um, in China, still keep in touch with my biological mom. I wanted to move away from my bad neighborhood um, to, you know, try to just keep myself out of trouble. So I decided I would try to go live with her. And that was a really big mistake. My mom is uh, not a good person. Is she still alive? And yes. Um, and so we actually ended up getting in a fist fight. Um, and she started, I mean, it sounds silly. Like no, she started it. I've been there. Um, but yeah, I get it. I, I mean, like, you know, she threw a plate at my head. So. My, my mom did that to me too. I get That's it. That's not normal. That's not okay. No, not okay. It. Not normal. Trauma bonding over right? there. Right? Exactly. Yeah, and you're just like, um, okay, I'm going to defend myself because I'm pretty sure you're going to kill me right now. Yeah. Like legitimately your kill me. Your mother is doing right, this. Right. Exactly. Yeah, your mother. And so we ended up getting into a fist fight. She called the police and she said, um... I'm going to make sure that you go back and I'm going to make sure that your parole gets revoked. Like she was like her, her goal that day was to make sure that I got arrested. Your and mom's that I, goal mm-hmm. that day. Jesus Christ. Right. Okay. So, you know, I'm, I'm sitting. So I, so of course I, the police get there and of course they arrest me because who you're going to believe, you know, the, the parent or, or this child who is obviously a, a, delinquent. Um, so I get arrested and I'm sitting in the back of the police car and I really am at that point defeated because I think to myself that, and I remember sitting there thinking, okay, well I tried, you know, I, I really did make the effort to try to be better and, and to stay out of trouble and, you know, to not, 
continue living that life. Um, and to me, it was very clear at that moment that I was destined for something different. Um, and so it wasn't until a couple of days later when I was taken into the courtroom. And, and again, you know, you're one of the really amazing things that I got to work on after I was elected so many years later was that we actually changed the shackling policy so that young people are no longer um, shackled like animals oh. when they're taken um, to their court appearances. So but at the time, uh, and they still shackle young people you know, throughout the country in many jurisdictions, uh, but no longer in Nevada. No longer in Nevada. Uh-huh. So, or at least in Clark County, which is the largest um, population center in Nevada. So at the time I was shackled, I was in an orange jumpsuit and I was, you know, basically had accepted my fate. Um, it wasn't until the judge asked my parole officer, because they generally take the 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 suggestions of the parole officers on what they're going to do as far as sentencing. So he says, uh, her name's Leslie. He says, Leslie, what, what do you recommend for Lucy Flores? And, you know, I was fully expecting her to say revocation. Instead, she said, your honor, I recommend that Lucy Flores be released to the custody of her father. And that was like, you know, and I, like I've told this story a million times over, but still, you know, kind of gets me a little emotional. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that was that was one of those moments when I said to myself, holy cow, someone someone believes in me. Someone thinks that I can like, why is she giving me this opportunity? And and me thinking to myself, like, OK, I thought my life was going in one way, but I have the opportunity to go in a different way. And I don't know what that way is. But all I know is that this woman believes me over my biological mother and oh, and that I have, <laughs> I know it's. I swear, you know, I've I've been doing this for a very long time, but yeah, but it doesn't sometimes doesn't seem to get that easier. Um, but you know, it, but this is exactly why I'm so deeply committed to the work that I do, because to have someone play that kind of a pivotal role, and frankly, I did a TED talk on this where I also said. Now, there's one thing to have self-determination, and then there's another thing to also recognize that us as individuals can really have this kind of an impact on someone else's life. Yeah. And sometimes that impact is based on something that we think is completely trivial. If you ask my parole officer to this day why she did that, why, and she's done a lot of interviews over the years you yeah. know, about me, um, and to say, why did you make that decision? She will tell you, I was just doing my job. And and she'll say, you know, I came across thousands of kids like Lucy, thousands of them who didn't belong where they were. They were just in bad circumstances. They were just born into shitty circumstances. And Lucy was not a bad person. That's why I didn't revoke her parole. And and so, you know, you just never know when something that seems trivial to you or something that seems like it's just your job is going to change the outcome of someone's life. Yeah. And that really is what she did for me. So, of course, it didn't occur overnight. I How old were you then? I was 15. 15 on that day? Mm-hmm. Well, it was, I was around 15, 16. Yeah. Um, but you... I ended up getting successfully completing parole. And, um, did you ever I do still... bad? Oh, sorry. Well, no. I, it was not an overnight thing. It's yeah. not like the movies, you know. Um, I still ended up dropping out of high school because, again, that's kind of something that everyone in my community did. Everyone in my family did. Out of all my brothers and sisters, only one actually graduated from high school. 
Um, no one went on to college, et cetera. Like that just wasn't something that is done in my community. And you probably needed to work. Weren't you working instead mm-hmm. or trying to get money exactly. instead of being in school? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, my first job was at 15 as soon as it was legally okay to work in Nevada. Um, and yeah, I dropped out of school and I started just working. And it wasn't until years later that I started to get more mentors in my life and people who would constantly tell me, Lucy, you're you're so smart. Lucy, you know, you're, you love to read. You're so well-spoken. Like no one would ever believe that you're a high school dropout. Why don't you go back to school? Why don't you go to school? Why don't you go to school? And, and it took a couple of years, but eventually at 21, I got my GED and I enrolled in community college. And that was really the start of my new life. And so fast forward all these years at that point, I made a decision and said, okay, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do what I've always wanted to do. And that's be a lawyer. Um, How did did that come about? How did you know my, you know, my, my, my thought process behind it was that I'd had enough interaction with the law to feel like I knew something about it. Yeah, (laughs) Was it a control thing too? Like you want to take some control? Yeah, I always felt like I was oftentimes not only the way that I was being treated, but the way that I was being, um, you know, stereotyped and racially profiled by the police and and knowing that I had done nothing wrong but being arrested anyway and feeling like uh, if I knew my rights that I would uh, be empowered in some way um, because, you know, the the fact of the matter is that law enforcement and that's another issue that's happening right in this Tell country me. right now is is, um, you know, the the police brutality situations and um, and uh, and the militarization of the police and what's going on with the the status of law enforcement in this country and how much power they have and how little power sometimes we as individuals have you know when if you walk out the street right now and you know you're doing nothing but a police officer wants to stop you and ask you some questions and um you know say that you resisted in some way, even though you didn't, he can arrest you. Yeah. Now, whether or not they, the, the DA and others have the opportunity to actually prosecute you on that is completely different. But if he wants to ruin your day, oh, fuck. he will stop you right now. He will arrest you. He'll say that you resisted. He or she will say that you resisted. They will arrest you. They'll impound your car. They'll do whatever they want. Right. And it's up to you then to figure it all out afterwards. Yeah. That's the kind of power that they have over us. And, 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 you know, that is really where the police brutality and all of the other issues that we're having with law enforcement right now come from. And that's not to say that every single police officer is a bad person. It's to say that we have a problem with the imbalance of power right now with law enforcement and our communities. So, um, and that's kind of what I felt that my experience, you know, with the law and with policing is that, you know, when I decided that I would do something that I was really interested in, I was like, OK, I could be a lawyer. Well, I have a question, too. When you were uh, stopped and you weren't doing anything wrong or, or were you sexualized? Too? How, how, what is it for like a woman to be uh, stopped by the police? I mean, I know I've heard men talk about it, but how is it different for a woman or what have you experienced as far as like uh, you're scared they might rape you? I mean, I'm just going to be blunt because I feel like it's terrifying Absolutely. in a different way for a woman. Well, you know, as a as a young person going through the system, um, it was definitely it wasn't different in that way. It was different in that um, that when they physically handled you, they obviously had the the ability to hurt you 
um, in a in a more easy way because you're just weaker, right? Physically, you're physically you're weaker than yeah. than a man is, or um, so you know this idea that they're cuffing you and they're putting you in shackles and they're you know throwing you in the squad squad car and and really you know for lack of a better word, manhandling you um, in that way is more traumatic on young women than it is on, than I think on men, yeah. right? But simply because of the, the physicalness of it is, is increased. Yeah. Right. And, and so in that way, it's definitely more traumatic because they treat you the same. Um, and then in other ways, in terms of now, even as a, an educated, uh, you know, obviously, very informed person, I still recognize that that if if a if a bad police officer wants to ruin my day or if he wants to take advantage of me in some way, he probably can. Yeah. And there's not a whole lot I can do to stop it. And that part is really scary. Um, and so so yeah, in those aspects, I think it's absolutely different for women and for especially when you're young, uh, interacting with law enforcement than it is for men. Yeah. So, um, you know, when all of that happened, I just decided to um, to try to empower myself and uh, ended up at community college, did that for a year, went to USC here in L.A. So I lived here for several years before I came back Yeah. Um, and transferred out to UNLV Law School in Las Vegas, which is, you know, my home. And and at that point, I just got back a completely different person. Um, is your dad I was, so proud of you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You like you like your dad still? Oh, is he all right? Yes, all right. he's yeah. That's okay. <laughs> I got to spend uh, New Year's Eve with him. Oh, that's yeah. nice. Did well, guys, the afternoon. Not did the you guys evening. do mushrooms together? No, we did not oh, do mushrooms. Me neither. Okay, so. cool. <laughs> okay, keep going. Sorry. So you but yeah. we did eat tamales. Oh, that's I don't nice. Know that's, <laughs> I don't know. I've heard of them. Similar. Okay. 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 <laughs> oh God. But so you're a completely different person. You're living your life. You've just graduated college. Very exciting. Well, so I was actually oh. appointed to a statewide commission in my second year of law school. What? What does um, this mean? How did that happen? Uh, I just got involved. Yeah. I just started getting involved in my community. I started a clinic in my first year of law school. Um, I worked on wrongful convictions. And oh my God. so, yeah, so in the process of doing that, um, you know, I just started going to a lot of community meetings and events and meeting people. And someone recommended to the governor that I be appointed to uh, the Commission on Minority Affairs, which in Nevada was a commission that took a look at people of color and communities of color and um, state policies and, you know, how it is that we're reaching out to these underserved communities. And in that process, I ended up in Carson City, uh, which is our state capital in Nevada. And at that point, I was working on wrongful conviction reform after I started the clinic in my law school. Oh my um, I got two pieces of wrongful conviction legislation done as a law student. And um, and then... Tell you me know, about those, though. What well, those? So, so wrongful convictions is something... And it actually, it's funny that I, that I started getting interested in that because I took a wrongful conviction class when I was at USC. And then I remember reading a story. It was on the front page of the LA Times. It was about a law clinic, I believe, at Berkeley or maybe at Stanford, but it was up north. And and the front page of the LA Times were these law students and their professor. And the story was about all of the work that they had done to um, to get an exoneration, which is basically someone who's been convicted of a crime, for them to to get them an exoneration that says you actually did not commit their crime, this crime, prove their innocence. Yeah. 
And and I don't mean legal innocence, like not a loophole or, you know, get some evidence thrown out, like legal, right, legal innocence in that you did not commit this crime. And in many other instances, they were able to find the true perpetrator of the crime. And so when I saw that, I just thought to myself, wow, what an incredible way to make an impact in your community and to change someone's life, you know. These folks, we the folks that have been wrongfully convicted across this country, some of them have been de- have been sentenced to death, and and have been taken off of uh, death row. And the reason why we started getting an uptick in in exonerations is because of the uh, um, the advent of DNA technology. Oh my God! And yeah. you know, and so when we finally started to be able to test. Um, these some of the evidence that was still remaining and, you know, go back into some of these cases and to find out and then to actually look at the cases and how these people were convicted on flimsy evidence and a couple of eyewitness testimonials. And, you know, so and terrifying. it is it is really terrifying. Yeah. And and again, like shows you how uh, vulnerable oh, we are. God. Yeah. So, you know, so again, when I saw these young people, literally, you know, saving this man's life. Um, and, and these people serve 20, 30, 40 years behind bars. And to me, I just felt like as as an American, yeah. as someone who grew up with this concept of freedom and, you know, our rights and um, what this country was founded on was this idea that we were going to be free people, um, you know, outside of the tyranny of the king of England, you yeah. know, I mean, this idea of freedom to have that taken away from you and to have your entire life taken from you because the system let you down and let you down so easily was just it. It, it, it just kind of, yeah, yeah. It, it just like challenged the very belief of of what I believed our criminal justice system in this country to be. And so. I just got really involved and I decided that when I went to um, my law school in Nevada that I was going to start a clinic because they didn't have one. And so then when I got there, I I did that. Um, by the way, I was told by the clinic director um, when I first approached him with the idea that I would never see an innocence clinic in my lifetime. Wait, what do you at mean? At that law school. What is that? What An innocence clinic? That's the clinic that I started. That's um, in, in order to re- take cases of wrongful conviction in Nevada. Oh, okay. At the law school. Okay. You were told you would never see one ever. In my lifetime. And you started one. It was done a year later. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Nobody's going to so, tell you no. No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> people amazing. still don't learn though, you know, like well, people are like, don't tell me they're not going to do something. Maybe like they the need worst, to. It's like the worst of... Um, what do you call that? Reverse psychological. What Reverse psychology. That? Reverse psychology. Yeah, but that's yes. great though. It's like I, I enjoyed that too because it you know motivates you. Goes, yeah, fuck you. I'm going to show you exactly. That's great. Just, yeah, yeah, just don't tell me that about like something you actually want me to do. Yeah. Because then yeah, totally. Like, that's how the whole thing works. Oh god. Um, so but yeah, so I ended up in Carson City and I was working on wrongful conviction reform legislation. And you there. call it a clinic. But it's not like a Planned Parenthood clinic. No, it is a place like a where you're trying clinic. to save people and uh, you know and trying to get them exonerated. Okay, got right, it. Yeah. I'm putting it all together. Listen, baby steps. <laughs> I'm connecting the dots. My frontal lobe only just formed, so you know it's a big deal. Okay, well, go on. I'm biologically just sure. speaking, it actually <laughs> developed long before his did. So. What my frontal lobe? Yes. It okay. Did. Yeah. Well, yeah. get back to your story. <laughs> <laughs> keep, keep telling me your story. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you get the thing going. Yes. Then what happened? And then I'm in Carson City where we passed the laws and ended up getting two pieces of wrongful conviction legislation passed as a law student. And it was then in that process that I realized how incredibly how incredibly fulfilled I was in doing that kind of work. But here was my bonehead question again, because I'm not mm-hmm. going to be afraid to ask questions. Mm-hmm. I learned this from Oprah and Tina Turner and Cher, who were held down by the man for a long time. And when they told me on a show one time, it was like, never be afraid to ask questions. That's so right. Here's my question. Yes. Um, when you say two pieces of, does that mean you, you freed two people? Or that you, no, you no, passed no. two different two different laws. And what are those laws? So, so um, spell it out like I'm a, you know, Sure. So disability. at the time in Nevada, there was two issues around criminal, well, there's a lot of issues issues. But the main ones was that it was post-conviction DNA access. Post-conviction. I'll explain it. Okay. And the other one was the preservation of evidence. Okay. So here's the two problems. Post-conviction DNA access. um, The Supreme Court, unfortunately, had made a determination that it was not a, uh, um, a fundamental violation of your rights to not allow you as someone who's been convicted of a crime to have access to evidence that could potentially free you. Oh my God. Right. I mean, it's, it was horrific. Crazy. Um, yeah. It was a very, it was a split decision. So it wasn't the entire Supreme court. So it was five, four. Um, but what that meant was that each state then had to grant you those rights. And, and so we had to do a state by state strategy to ensure that, for example, if, you, Alexi, gets arrested for murder tomorrow, that 10 years down the road, if evidence comes up that actually exonerates you, that says actually it wasn't Alexi, it was this other person who murdered this person, then probably Aristotle. Aristotle. Yeah. Then you should be able to say, okay, I know I got convicted, but I have evidence that shows that it was Aristotle. Let me role play up. Hey, you guys, I have evidence. It it wasn't me. It was Aristotle. That's what it would sound like. And then the courts, if this law does not actually give you a right to access it, would say, sorry, Alexi, we convicted you. So even though you have evidence that shows Aristotle did it, um, he gets to be free and you don't. So you... So we we then passed a law that gave people that had access to exo- evidence of exoneration the right to bring that up to a court and say, reopen my case, test this. There is reason to believe that if you if you investigate this, I will be exonerated. Got that it. was not a right prior to us, well, me working on that law and passing it in Nevada. Oh, my God. And it's just in Nevada. It's you, in other states now, too, okay. um, because, but, again, you know, you have to do it legislature by legislature, Jesus. state by state. Yeah. Exhausting. Yeah. Exactly. Make it real hard. Well, I mean, that's how marriage equality came about. That's how all of these major issues that marijuana, I fear into marijuana. Oh, I'm not. Um, okay. I'm really not. <laughs> I wouldn't even lie to you. Clearly, I'm super open. Yeah. Okay. I'm not trying to have sex so, with you. I'm only going to be honest okay (laughs) so yeah but you know all of those all of those laws they occurred because they started passing state by state as opposed to the federal government that said okay this is a this is a right or or a law that is going to exist for everyone Mm. right that's the difference between the federal government and your state laws okay um so the the we did that in nevada and then the other one was the preservation of evidence same thing there was no law that said that once i convicted you alexi of murder that I actually had to preserve that evidence. So, for example, if something down the line said, wait a minute, you didn't test this piece of evidence and that says that I'm innocent, mm. there was nothing that said that they didn't have to, that they had to keep that evidence and not destroy it. 
So you can imagine, you know, again, five, 10, whatever, how many years later, you know that this piece of evidence will exonerate you, will prove that you are innocent, but law enforcement and the courts didn't have any obligation to actually preserve that evidence and it was destroyed. Yeah. And with it, your ability to prove that you're innocent. I don't even want to get into what it's like to be in jail for probably 20 years or something and then be exonerated and what that looks like. That's oh, probably, my, oh gosh. my God. The That's psycho- like a whole other podcast. I mean, it's, it's a whole other podcast <laughs> of like, do they provide psychological like counseling? We had or... to fight for those things too. Really? State I'd, state. I'd mm-hmm. imagine to yep. like reacclimate That's to right. like and to get over the, why me? I can't, well, you know, oh my That's right. God, you, your family dies, your friend, mm-hmm. your wife leaves That's you. Right. Can't even imagine. Anyway, exactly. That's another well, podcast. that's why it was just so moving to me. And, and when we were able to pass these laws in Nevada that I felt, okay, this is something that I can do with all kinds of different issues, right? And all kinds of different things that can actually help people. Like I can pass laws. You know, I, I did listen to the podcast um, that you did with Nando. And uh, is it Nando or Nando? I, well, I call him Nando. Oh, who but, cares? Yeah. This is about us. I mean, yeah, but what if, or, whatever. Yeah, he, I'm sure he'll answer to anything. He'll be fine. Um, <laughs> So what, what were you? What about well, that? Well, so in the five minutes that you did talk about politics, okay, <laughs> I know he's very handsome. Okay, he's not that handsome. I mean, it's true. It's, I'm over handsome, it, but he's not that handsome. I know, but I feel like kind of quirky looking, and he's like traditionally like he's like from <laughs> Miami or wherever his face. I don't know what his deal is, but I was like the, the normal looking handsome guy is in yeah, the studio. Yeah, yeah. Look, you're changing lives, and I'm flirting with guests <laughs> and not talking about the real issues. Okay, but I'm learning because you're my new guardian well, angel. One of what? the things that he did say. Okay. Was that he didn't feel that politicians and that politics was a way to actually make an impact and to actually improve um, our communities and our lives. He, you know, was very um, pessimistic about his view of what kind of a change you can actually make through our government. Oh, yeah. That's why he didn't want to be a politician. Right. Exactly. And, and I, you know, of course, I'm fundamentally in disagreement with that because I had the opposite experience, you know, is that I was able as an elected official and even now as a non-elected official to work on things, to actually pass laws. I worked on a domestic violence prevention law that mirrored the Violence Against Women Act, the Federal Violence Against Women Act, and was able to pass one of the most comprehensive domestic violence prevention laws in Nevada um, in about 30 years. And Nevada at the time was leading nationally the rate at which women were being murdered um, by their partners. And now, granted, this isn't just a women problem. Uh, Domestic violence is an issue that affects all genders. Um, But, you know, for me to do that and then to get these emails from women, you know, I, I remember the first day that my law went into effect, I got this email from this woman and she found my my contact info and she was doing some research to try to figure out how she could leave her partner. And, and she said, I came across a story on this law that you passed that said that I could leave my, my housing situation. I can break my lease and not be obligated to the fees and to um, the future payments under that contract if I can... Uh, a show that I've been involved in domestic violence, that I've been a victim of domestic violence. And, you know, she said, I just, I just wanted to reach out and let you know that you saved my life. 
And so, you know, and, and think and getting messages like that, oh not just for that law, but some of the other things that I've done just by sharing my story yeah. over and over and over again, you know, I get contacted by people who say, thank you so much, you know, because of what you did or because of what you said, I was able to do X, Y, and Z. I was able to find the, the, the fortitude to leave this abuser, um, the fortitude to continue on with my education, the, the fortitude to just live another day because of what you've said and what you've done. That is powerful. Yeah, That to me is making a difference through our government. And there's a lot of people, good people. Bernie Sanders, of course, was one of them. Um, but so many others at the local level, um, at, at the state level, um, non-elected, elected, who are truly changing and improving our communities, and that is being th- done through government. Yeah. So that's why, you know, it's like he sees it from this outside perspective, this very pessimistic, like, oh, all politicians, it's so, all... Sounds a little lazy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, and I get it. It's easy to get... It's easy to get... Um, Cynical. Yeah. It's easy to get cynical and disenchanted. It, it is. Um, but at the same time, it's if you just peel a couple layers back, and sometimes you don't even have to peel a couple, just one, yeah. and see that there's some really incredible people doing amazing stuff for us. Um, you know, it, it gives you that hope again yeah. that that we're going to be okay. Um, tell me about. Is it Emily's children? Emily's list. Emily's list. Yeah. Okay. Because I was. I, oh God! Can we talk about this or no? Because I, I mean, I was talking to Nando Nando, whoever he is, was, was giving me was you know briefing me on you, and I was doing all this research, and then, you know, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but you- yeah, no. Well, so you know, that's so after I had that experience working on those laws in Nevada. Um, I decided to run for office, and so I actually finished my last year of law school and was elected at the same time. Oh my goodness! Um, yeah, so I was I graduated, um, and then I campaigned all summer long. I was elected. In How November. old are you? How old are you at this point? I was twenty nine. Twenty nine years old, and what did you get elected to? Uh, the state legislature, the okay. state house. Yeah, yeah. So I was a, a, an a assemblywoman. We have an assembly. We have an assembly in California as well. Um, and and then I sat for and passed my bar in that same my first legislative session in that same year. So um, and then, you know, that just kind of opened the floodgates to everything I started doing thereafter. Um, and that was, you know, almost 10 years ago. Oh, my God. Um, well, keep giving me every. I don't mean to jump ahead. So you, you tell me. In yeah. The, the order. Well, and so, so you're you know, there. The, the thing with Emily's list is um, during my second legislative session, maybe it was my, no, it was my second um, or maybe it was my first. I actually don't remember now. Or don't even jump in. If there, if there, if there are things <laughs> no, that, no, I, no, 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 no. This is yeah. important. I just couldn't okay. remember what which which year it was. Get it together. I know, okay, you're on the Love Alexi podcast. It's pivotal. I'm sorry. Okay. I didn't prepare. Um, <laughs> Me neither. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Okay. Oh, <laughs> I did. We have something in common. Keep going. Oh, um, so no, we. So I decided because. Um, so I was one of the first. Well, actually, the first elected legislator to talk about my choice to have an abortion. Um, during my legislative um, work, uh, it was during a hearing, and but to talk about my choice to have an abortion, um, in terms of it being a true choice, 
and not something that I had to do because it was medically necessary, which there's nothing wrong with that narrative. Women have abortions all the time because something is wrong medically with their pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there had been a couple of female elected officials who had talked about that either in giving speeches or in a hearing or whatever. I was the first one to say I had an abortion because it was the right choice for me. Yeah. And that is one of the issues that is um, at the core of who Emily's List is as an organization. They work to elect pro-choice Democratic women. Um, And so after I gave that testimony, it was really one of the worst experiences of my life. And that's saying a lot because I've been through a lot. (laughs) So why did you feel the need to share this? Because those two things are, are, well, about my abortion, it was because we were hearing testimony on a comprehensive sex ed bill um, in Nevada. Nevada is very behind the times, unfortunately, still, but um, because to this day, we still don't have a law that that says that we have to provide comprehensive sex ed. It's still abstinence based in Nevada. Yeah. Oh, my God. So exactly. And and we're leading the rates and teen leading the country in STD rates for teenagers, teen pregnancy, et cetera. Right. All of these things that happen when you don't educate young people about sex. The state where Vegas is in. Exactly. Weird. Just yes, kidding. Okay, exactly. I mean, just like totally, <laughs> like completely backwards, irrational, and illogical, and everything. It's yes. like denial. It, it yeah. is. It is really something is to this, behold. Is this religious based? Probably. I mean, definitely religious based, but also. Uh, You know, I don't know. I honestly can't explain it because it's so illogical. Yeah. Um, Go on. But lots of religious, um, lots of religious opposition, but also just parents who are, I I don't know. Yeah. Anyhow, so uh, we were trying to pass this bill. It had failed several times before. In doing that, I thought to myself, okay, if I give testimony in support of this bill, I feel like I need to say something that's going to connect the dots for my colleagues, for people Mm. that says, listen, if we empower young people, if we give them the tools to make better decisions for themselves, if we give them access to information, that's going to potentially change. And not potentially, we know it's going to change their lives because we've seen that that's what happens when we educate our children. And so I decided to talk about my choice to have an abortion and how things could have been different for me and how what I had learned about having children at that age was from my sisters and every single one of my sisters were pregnant as young as young teenagers, as young women. One of my sisters was 14 years old when she got pregnant with twins. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And so the, this is what I had to learn from. And I didn't have comprehensive sex ed. I didn't learn about sex in any other way and ultimately decided, got pregnant just like everybody else had, yeah. and but the, made a different choice for myself. And I made the choice to have an abortion because it was the right thing to do for me at the time. I saw how my sisters struggled. I saw how their kids were still struggling. I saw how they were living off of social services. I saw how 
getting pregnant and the next day signing up for welfare and WIC was the normal thing to do. Yeah. And I didn't know much at that time, but I knew that that wasn't normal. That was your instinct. And that that wasn't yeah. right. And that that wasn't the life that I wanted for me or my kid. And, and so, you know, I explained all of this, but in that testimony, I also said, but I do not regret this. I do not regret that decision. And it was those words really that like, you know, made the extreme conservative right anti-choicers heads like totally explode. Um, because that was the first time that someone had talked about abortion so openly and in that affirmative way. And and the next 24 to 36 hours were some of the worst in my life. What I was... I was threatened. My my life was threatened. I was harassed. I was sent horrible messages, email, Twitter, Facebook, you know, social media. I I canceled a an interview that I had that same day, or maybe it was the next day. And I was literally sitting in my office in the Capitol in Carson City, thinking to myself how ironic the situation was that I had frankly escaped this cycle of poverty and violence. And I, I knew what it was like to have your life threatened. I've been shot at. I know what it's like to hear bullets flying by your head. I've had those experiences. And to escape all of that, just to be sitting there in the capital of my state as an elected official feeling like if I walked out the front doors of my legislature that I might be murdered. Yeah. That was like one of the most ironic moments for me and and really feeling like because I am advocating for what I believe is right, what I was elected to do as a woman I am having my life threatened. Oh my goodness. And and so, you know, this feeling of actually at times kind of thinking, did I do the right thing? <laughs> you yeah. know, like do should I have kept this a secret? And it was it took me a little bit, but I finally realized that because I was feeling that way that that was actually the reason why I should continue being even more open about you're it. You're leading by example. You're like a martyr. And you know, you're like, you know, or, I, I mean, uh, like okay, right. every now and then it kind of feels that way. That's what Nando said. And I'm, <laughs> I'm with him. He knows a thing or two. <laughs> Sometimes it does feel a little bit that way. Really? You're um, an example but, of other girls and women to be themselves. And, you know, they need permission to be, you know, I, I think that that's right. And, and, and because, so this will take me down back to the Emily's List conversation yeah. then, is that after doing that all of those years um, and and making those decisions, because even though it was difficult and even though I knew that I was in uncharted territory and that um, that I was going to be judged and threatened and harassed, um, you know, to this day, I, I have filters on my social media now where you can't leave messages on my Facebook page or anything like oh, that that good. includes words like baby killer or murderer or, you know, whore. You know, like there's there's all of these words that you can't even post yeah. as a way to just keep the traffic down yeah. of, you know, constant social media harassment. How long ago was this? When did this happen? This was in, that's why I was trying to remember the the session that I actually um, did this. I believe it was in 2013. 20, oh, not very long ago. No. God, okay. Um, oh, it's 2017. I forget. Yeah. Still well, not very long yeah. Ago. yeah. No, no, no. It wasn't that long ago. It was in yeah. 2013. And so, so 
then fast forward, I, I ran for lieutenant governor, which is a statewide office. I lost that race. And then I it was the year that um, you know, basically every Democrat in the entire country lost. And and then two years later I decide, which is now to run for Congress. Emily's List is this organization that um, exists to support women. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, uh, many years ago, saw how difficult it was for women to raise money to actually get into politics because it's so expensive nowadays. You have to be able to raise in the millions of dollars. And it's to it a be... boys, boys club? It's in such a boys club? Absolutely. Yeah, people don't want to take a chance yes, on a woman? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So all of these reasons why it's harder for women to get into politics than it is for men. So this organization, unfortunately has become, frankly, a part of this big institutional problem that we have where they're starting to make decisions because of political expediency instead of actually supporting good people. And in my race, I was running against um, a multimillionaire woman, Mm -hmm. never been elected before, had never taken a position on choice or uh, reproductive health or reproductive justice, like none of those things. Yeah. But she was filthy rich oh, shit. Um, and had a lot of rich friends and had raised a lot of money already and, and had given herself, you know, several hundred thousand dollars, um, which, of course, I did not have several hundred thousand dollars to give myself. And if I did, trust me, it would not be going oh, to that campaign. God. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So um, and then running against a, a, a another guy who was actually supported by one of the senators in Nevada. So, you know, Emily's List was like, well, you know, you need to work on your fundraising, blah, blah, blah. We're going to stay out of this race. Fast forward, this organization that exists to, one, support women who are having trouble fundraising, and two, who are pro-choice, decides about two weeks after I endorsed Bernie Sanders that they were going to endorse the multimillionaire white woman in the race. Because she was backing Hillary? She was backing Hillary and she was filthy rich. And she was filthy rich. And so there was this, you know, there was a national backlash against them. Uh, To this day, people still, you know, kind of tweet at them and say like, oh yeah, well, what about Lucy Flores? Yeah, good. (laughs) I'll be one of those people after we wrap this podcast. I'm serious. Yeah. And you know, the problem is that it's not that they're a bad group. It's that what they have turned into is a political group. Okay. And it's no longer, at least in um, in their decision to support my opponent, it's no longer about who is the best on that issue. Who is that champion for you? And arguably, at that time, there was no bigger champion for choice and reproductive health and reproductive rights, on the West Coast at least, than Lucy Flores. Yeah. And for them to literally say, well, she hasn't raised enough money. Um, that was the official reason, which is bad enough because this organization exists to help, to help raise women raise money. money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's just yeah. like, but the fact that they did it, did it two weeks after I endorsed Bernie, of course, is the other unspoken reason. Well, um, go into that. Unpack that. Why? Well, you know, Bernie Sanders was not the popular thing to do. Um, you know, and this is before, okay. he was he was the <laughs> kind of the insurgent right. candidate. He was anti-establishment. Um, he, everybody was on the Hillary Clinton bandwagon and they were on that bandwagon very early on. Oh, really? Cause I was a, I'm a Bernie person and then I voted for Hillary because because it was option. the right thing to do. Yeah. Exactly. But I mean, I, I was, mean, I wanted yeah. to be Bernie. Exactly. And, and it's so politically incorrect 
it's not cool even now to say like, well, Hillary's not perfect. Exactly. Oh my God. That's exactly right. And I was willing to say as a woman, you're a badass as, as a Latina, I am backing Bernie Sanders because of X, Y, and Z, because I believe that Bernie has the best interests of people in mind. I have, I believe that first and foremost, he cares about fixing income inequality and he cares about justice and he cares about the everyday working person and, and the experiences and the challenges that I had going through the political system were so often related to money and influence and who you knew yeah. and who was backing you, that's not what our government is supposed to be about. And this is why Nando gets as cynical as he does, right? Because that is not what our government is supposed to be. That is, And that is exactly what Bernie was saying and why I you know, felt like when he talked, he, he talked to me. Yeah. When he spoke about these issues, he was speaking to me and my generation and people who were tired of politics as usual and how much of despite that Hillary Clinton did some really great things and I and is a nice person in this situation if you're going to ask who is better for the future of our country that answer to me was Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. but that was not the popular thing to say and I knew I knew that when I made the decision to endorse him that it was going to cost me politically oh my god um but you know I I always I've always lived my life and certainly as as my political life as as someone who's always said to myself you know, every single day, the day that I, the day that I allow a political decision to guide me is the day that I no longer belong in office. I was always going to do what I believed was the right thing. And if that cost me a seat or if that cost me an election, then so be it. And, and so in that same vein, when I decided to endorse Bernie, I knew what the political outcome was going to be. I knew that um, you know, the the establishment, um, you know, after I did that, Bill Clinton himself came in and endorsed one of my opponents. Um, so, you know, Yikes. I knew yeah. I was up against a lot. Yeah. That being said, we still did very well. We came in second. Uh, we actually, even though the, the multimillionaire woman spent a half million dollars more than me. Who is this? She came in a distant third. Um, yeah, <laughs> that was that was the lady who Emily's list backed. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just... It just, for me, it's always been about that. And and in many ways, our system is absolutely still broken. Um, it's the reason why uh, I'm on the board of Our Revolution, uh, why I'm still as active as I am, and why people should still continue to be active um, and, you know, get involved in their community. Well, here's my question. What do we have? Okay, so so Trump won, I suppose. I don't know if you know this. Yes. Trump won. But um, <laughs> so what... Do we need to be? I don't. I don't like this term, but I mean, what should we be most, most terrified about? I mean, what is seems like could be potentially most dangerous with him coming into office? And there, you know, there's so much. Oh it, God! <laughs> I mean, there is. That's amazing. Okay, well, you've heard it all, folks, and uh, thank you very much for coming. <laughs> That's a wrap. It's no, a really, <laughs> it's. Oh my God! It's unfortunately a really long list. It's oh kind of God. like it's actually kind of scary when you like legitimately scary when you sit oh and think God. about these things. I mean, we're talking about the potential of World War Three, really nuclear war, down to healthcare? your ability, yeah, down to healthcare and your ability to access birth control. I mean, it, and it runs the gamut, right? Yeah. I mean, it's civil rights, it's it's voting access, it's 
immigration. Uh, it, oh my gosh, it's everything. Bigotry and just permission to for certain, you know, that, certain people yes, to act a certain yes. way. What's that doing to our our psyche as Americans? The divisions that it's creating say, yeah. in our country. Uh, it really is. It's a lot. That being said, that being said. Um, I always look at things as an opportunity, you know, while yes, all of these things are horrible. I think what it also allows us the opportunity to do is to say, okay, these things are happening, but we don't have to allow them to happen. We don't have to allow them to get worse. We can actually do something about these things. And, and this is almost like a, almost, I feel like it's almost a type of, um, rock bottom situation yeah and we're waking up we're forced to wake up like this is it this is rock bottom for this shit got real yeah (laughs) so yeah like there is no worse than this yeah um and in that and in that vein i think that it it's really waking a lot of people up it's saying okay i don't usually pay attention to politics and i don't usually pay attention to what's happening in my community are you talking about me I mean, you're looking of. right at I, me. Well, I mean, you're sitting right in front of me, so I kind of have no other choice. Yeah, okay. but, but yes, I was referring to you. And yeah, yeah. Okay, keep going. Yes, and and it's okay. I mean, but that's the thing. It's like now is an opportunity. People. One of the questions that people ask all the time is how. What do I do? Yeah. What can I do? And I always tell people, you know what? It starts with the simple as taking an extra 30 minutes instead of reading through your TMZ feed or, you know, whatever other pop culture, whatever thing that you're reading through. Read the L.A. Times, read the headlines or better yet, find your local paper. All of the cities around L.A. and in Las Vegas and you know, in the rest of the country, they have local papers that say that talk about the various events and the things that are going on in your community, in, in your, your community, backyard, which is where you can make where a change, you, right? Yeah. And so that's as you and read about what you're interested in. Are you interested in climate? Are you interested in women's rights? Are you interested in in helping um, other organizations? I mean, the one one really great example of how people got involved in big ways and small ways was around the Dakota Access Pipeline issue in South Dakota. That was where there the um, Dakota Access was trying to build a pipeline through Indian Reservation land yeah. and under a major river that was the water source, not the only water source for that reservation, but also the water source for millions of people in that region in South Dakota. Yeah. And, you know, this idea that they're going to build this pipe that that isn't a question about if it's going to leak, it's about when. Yeah. Based on historical data, based on what we know about pipelines, et cetera, we know that there's going to be some kind of a climate catastrophe. So why do it? Because they can. Well, in this instance, they said, no, you cannot. And we are going to we're going to be here until we don't know what's going to happen, but until we stop this somehow. And they did. And they did. Yeah. And people across the country got involved. You didn't have to get on a plane and go all the way to South Dakota. But they did. But you know how people got involved? They called the White House. Yeah. They, and they literally just picked up the phone. I called the White House. I, in fact, I didn't get through, so I sent them an email. And I actually called Aristotle, them. did you call the White House? Did you call it? Good you job. You did? Get on the mic. <laughs> I'm I don't t- know who I called, but I know I called. 
He called called right. his girlfriend. He was like, "What's the number?" Well, even if he called <laughs> his girlfriend up. and said, "Hey, can you please call?" Like that yeah. that makes a difference too. Teamwork. Yes, I'm exactly. single. I've got nobody to help me. But okay, yeah. But I've got Lucy. You have you to help you. That's true. Yes. And oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good point. Yes. We're gonna talk about relationships in you uh, in a moment okay. too. Don't think you're gonna duck out of that. <laughs> Not when you sit here. We've been doing so well. I though. know. I hope your listeners are still listening. They're, I, they're like, like, oh my god, we're right. like boring. Like, uh, <laughs> Can no. we talk about fashion or something? Or I don't Can know. Can we talk about I, fashion? I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm stereotyping. I, about, I apologize I to your fe- listeners. I, I can't believe you. <laughs> I, we talk about feelings here and love because that's a big part of life. Kindness and love and human connection and you know what it all means Absolutely. and career and Absolutely. making a difference. That's, 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 that's something. No, I okay. listened to the podcast Listen. you did with um, oh, the, God, the, I'm terrified. No, the documentary woman. I forgot her name. She did the Who? the nipples. Freeing the nipple. Oh, I don't know if that was one of my best. But that I was her. really good. Okay, good. Yeah, that was one of my best. Yeah. It, was was one really of my great, it was great conversation. Okay, yeah. good. Um, About a God. really important issue. That's what I'm saying. Freeing your nipple. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it was a, oh well, yeah, we, we, we haven't touched on the uh, and, uh, Equal Rights Amendment being passed, but yeah, no, whatever. Yeah, no, We've got other yeah, fish. Okay. So many, so okay, many. That's so what I'm saying. The list is long. The list is no, long. No, but so, so you yeah. called the White House. Called what the White House. And and people, you know, and then they were started the, they started this wish list on Amazon because then they were having issues with their supplies and actually getting the things that they needed as it got colder and the snow and all these things. And it was incredible, you know, yeah. everyday people as they were doing their Christmas shopping. Um, oh, hey, let's pick up a tent, you know, on Amazon and yeah. send it to them or or, you know, you don't have that much money. So I'm going to send them a pallet of water yeah. or, you know, whatever. And literally the entire country came together and made a change and made a change, did something. yeah. And and it's happening again. I mean, this this these there's so many examples of this. But if you're not paying attention and you haven't read about South Dakota and you yeah. haven't read about the other pipelines and the other things that are happening in this country, yeah. then you have no idea to do that. Right. And so us as Americans, as as people who care about one another, if you care about your community, take 30 minutes to just educate yourself about something. And I like the idea of reading your local newspaper right? Uh, better than Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, because I feel like people aren't trying to bridge the gap and, and communicate. That's They're like, right. I'm going to talk louder than you. And, and, oh, you don't agree with me? That's Fuck right. you. And yeah. like, and it becomes like, and everybody takes everything the worst way. And people just want to be contrarian for the sake of it. And it just turns into this nightmare, frenetic energy that just makes you go, oh, God, I, I hate everyone. Exactly. And, and we all helpful. know that there's been so many failings on behalf of the mainstream media. I mean, here's the thing with mainstream media that people need to understand. The reason why they have turned into what they have is because they are they are profit driven. Oh, yeah. They're trying to sell because they're going to go to business. I, I mean, like, mean? right. Yeah. Exactly. And and so in the this the reason why they ended up giving Donald Trump as much airtime, there was no other candidate, none, that could pick up the phone and literally get patched into. It didn't matter what was playing that day. Wow. It didn't matter what show was um, occurring. It didn't matter what interview they were doing. If Donald Trump called, they would patch him in and and broadcast to the world whatever craziness was coming out of that man's mouth. Yeah, And the reason why is because... You know, unfortunately, as a as a country, you know, we do live in a very reality show kind of um, sensationalist driven society. Yeah. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, if it's about making money, they're going to do what drives people. And people wanted to hear the crazy shit that was coming out of his mouth. I mean, I remember a while ago thinking 
if, is he really going to run? Well, that's going to be kind of entertaining. Never did I think he would win because I thought, there's no way. Exactly. That would never happen. Exactly. But I'm excited to see was, how this it happens. Was, it was the train wreck, right? Yeah. It was the car crash. It was, you know, like I, I try to, I try to put my words into action. And I'm one of those people who like... I force myself to not look at the car accident on the freeway. You yeah, know, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to be one of those people. Yeah. And in that same way, you know, I didn't tune in to the second debate and I said it on my Twitter. I was like, nope, I am not going to give this this network the satisfaction of ratings. I don't even I'm like not. saying his name. I'll read about it later, whatever, so that I can hear, you know, the substantive part. But I'm not tuning into this debate. Um, and, you know, in that way, like we have we ha- we just have to be better people. But ultimately, the mainstream media is failing us because they don't care about actual journalism. Um, and again, you know, this is all very generalized. Of course, there are still some very good people in, in all of these places. Um, but ultimately, as a whole, they make their money via their ratings yeah. and the advertising dollars that come from it. And that's why we're being failed by mainstream media. And and so that's why, you know, when I do read about things, one, you have to take everything with a grain of salt when you're reading it from, you know, anywhere. anywhere. And two, if you can connect and get information from local sources, if you're hearing from your neighborhood organization that there's going to be a school board meeting and that they're going to be debating like this comprehensive sex ed, right? And you happen to have an hour that day, go to the meeting, Oh Just God. go and sit there. Everybody's so lazy. I know they are. But yeah. so, but if you're not going to go to the meeting, then at least you know that that stuff is happening. Yeah. And so then if you happen to see a thing that says, hey, call your school board member and ask them to vote for this issue, then that doesn't take that much time. Call, pick up your phone and say, hey, I live in your district. I would, my, I want you to vote and support this comprehensive sex ed bill. Yeah. And that's it. And those things actually make a difference because I can tell you that as policymakers, when when our phones start getting flooded, when we start getting this mass uh, influx of constituents contacting us and telling us that, like, look, am what, I a constituent? Is that me? I consider you a constituent. Is that, I don't even yes, know what that like, word means. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, listen, it means, <laughs> it means that you're somebody that I represent. Oh, that's me. Yeah. So you, I, you too. Aristotle's a constituent. he's someone's constituent he might not be my constituent he's someone's constituent yeah so the other thing okay recently another example of of backtracking because people made phone calls so the republicans the first thing that they did congress just went back into session this is at the federal level they gutted the ethics laws that they put in place. Oh, I just read about right? this. So they said, oh, they yeah. said, okay, there's this institution that was created in 2008 because of these lobbyist scandals. People were getting bought off and it was just, you know, like, uh, what do you call that one show? Scandal. Well, yeah, yeah that's what it's called, scandal. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. It was yeah. scandal, right? Yeah. It was like, like there was some legit scandal going yeah. on. And so they created this house, house ethics um, organization that was independent that said, all right, when these when these things are happening, this is not connected to any of you Congress people, we're going to investigate you and we're going to ensure that there's some kind of ethical uh, ethical bar here and they're for overseeing you all. it and they're not being paid, we hope, right? Right, okay. exactly. None yes. of that stuff. So the first thing that they did when they came back is they dismantled it. Yeah. And like, 
the outrage, right? Yeah. Why <laughs> did they do this? Just to well, be like, what, they, yeah. what they what they decided to do then is instead of having this independent body, they moved those functions under legislative control. So, oh, so now you like, can't trust it. So yeah. So basically, you know, the the fox is like, who's watching the hen house, right? Yeah. And and they're literally policing each other. Like, hello, clearly that doesn't work, yeah. right? So there was such a national outrage around it, though, that people and and you know organizations that started organizing around this and saying, pick up the phone and call your congressperson and tell them what an outrage this is. Yeah. And sure enough, they reverse course. Really? Mm-hmm. When did it, this is in like this four days, like right? Yes, yeah, this is just like yesterday that they just started move, uh, reversing course on it. How do you even find the numbers? You just Google, Cong- yeah. like you just get the numbers just, like that. Yeah, this you is say, from- you like you can go to Google and say who is my congressman, and it'll either take you to a link where you put in your address, or okay. sometimes because it geo tracks you, you it already knows where you are and scary. it tells you who it is. I mean, it's kind of scary, but but. It's like the it's the um, solution for lazy people. Yeah, this is like politics for dummies. <laughs> this is great. Thank you. You know, <laughs> I'm the dummy. So yeah. like, it, in, I guess for me, there's just never an excuse. Yeah, like there's something that you can do for every schedule, for every schedule, for every lifestyle, for every circumstance. Yeah, there is no excuse. The only reason why you wouldn't be involved is because you choose not to. Okay. That's it. Yeah. yeah. But there is no excuse. What does our revolution do? Our revolution is a national political advocacy organization um, that is has basically incorporated and embodies everything that Bernie Sanders' campaign embodied. Um, and so the entire progressive agenda, whether it's about um, you know, healthcare for all or affordable and free college, um, social justice, uh, immigration reform, women's rights, like everything that Bernie Sanders stood for, we stand for as well. And, and as an organization, we raise money the same way that Bernie did. Um, you know, people send us five and 10 and $25 contributions. And then we use that money to support progressive candidates that also embody um, the progressive agenda and, and Bernie's vision and, and various events that, um, you know, that also support that agenda. So we were very involved with the um, Dakota Access Pipeline. Oh, we wow. ended up raising over a quarter million dollars for them, again, through small dollar contributions um, and uh, and and just, you know, a lot of other issues, whether now it's we've, we've been doing a lot of work around um, workers' rights and and now we're going to move into Social Security and Medicare because that's one of the things that Donald Trump said he would absolutely not cut, but of course that's what they're considering now. Oh my God. Um, and, and we're not talking about just cuts. I mean, we're talking about like the major gutting of Social Security and Medicare for people in this country, like the non-existence of many aspects of that program. So just be old people broke with no money? Basically. Oh my yeah. God! And uh, what about healthcare? What about Planned Parenthood? What do you think is going to happen? They're with probably going to move Obama to defund. Yeah, they're going to move to defund Planned Parenthood. Really? Um, mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. How much funding does Planned Parenthood get from the government? They get um, they get in the millions of dollars. Oh but the God. reason why is because Planned Parenthood, because we have such terrible health care system in this country, is that Planned Parenthood is, I think probably many of your listeners know, is sometimes they're the only organization that's providing health care for women. Um, you know, I used Planned Parenthood when I was in college and didn't have insurance. You know, where else do you go get a pap smear? Um, oh I have a friend actually right now. Um, you know, who's dealing with a, a very serious health issue, and and one of the first, um, one of the one of the first points of healthcare that she was able to access was a Planned Parenthood, um, and even be and she has insurance. She oh. just wasn't able to get to because you know it takes three and four weeks to get to your regular doctor. Yeah, but she was able to get into a Planned Parenthood clinic right away, and so you know that's this is like a legitimate. This isn't about abortion you know this isn't about reproductive uh, reproductive birth control and reproductive medication this is about health care and yeah. of course all of those issues are about women's reproductive health um, but you know they're they're attacking Planned Parenthood because it's just a um, it's a ideological thing to do and and so we're facing some very very real challenges but again if you know that that's happening, then guess what? You could pick up the phone. Yeah. Right? You can what? And donate or... You can donate or or you can call, again, your representative or you can email them or you can... On the 21st of January, which is in just about two weeks, there's going to be a women's march. Oh, yeah. Um, And there's literally going to be, you know, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of women descending on Washington, D.C., but there's going to be mirror marches in major cities across the country. And there's going to be one here in in L.A. On the 21st, mirror mirror marching? Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's going to be simultaneous marches in all of the major cities. Um, And I I don't exactly know where, but I mean, literally, again, the Google Google machine. I've heard of it. Google, you say? (laughs) Google.com. Very cool. Exactly. Um, Just I, put in LA Women's March okay. and all of the information will come up. Yeah, I'm going to go to the one here. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like, and, you know, make it make it like a fun thing to do with your girlfriends, right? Yeah. Like we're going to go and it's literally like participating in a parade. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, I don't like parades, but I'll go to this thing. <laughs> I think they're pretty boring, but, but I'll like girlfriends. actually participating in the parade. Yeah. You're part of the parade. Yeah. You're not just a spectator. You're a part That's of the parade. true. How dare you cater to my ego like that? You know me too well. <laughs> We've only just met. My goodness. Um, well, okay. I do have a question. Oh, and I and I want to, in the back of your mind, be thinking of anything else that you feel like, because I have so many young girls and really cool woke men who listen to this podcast, or just men who aren't woke who probably want to make out with me. Maybe I don't know, or take me on a date so they listen to a podcast. I mean, or two. why wouldn't they? That's very nice yeah, of you to say. You're welcome. But uh, I want you to have in the back of your mind any pivotal info you think that maybe people listening should know, because I don't know what. Rest in the recesses of your mind. Um, but my question is, I feel like as a as a woman who puts herself out into the world and you know trying to make people laugh or learn about other people and 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 I I put myself out on the internet on this podcast, which also lives on the internet, but uh, in such a major way, and I see the response I can get from certain people, and it's not the best or I have a lot of like men or people who are judgmental and harsh with me and I can only imagine uh, how that would be if you're in 
politics or if you're, you know, you're you're operating in a world that's a lot more conservative than I am. And, well, and that's why I always I really did empathize with Hillary Clinton. I think that there definitely was a lot of sexism involved in how she was treated and how she was viewed. Um, you know, she didn't operate as what we uh, generalize women to be. She wasn't soft and cuddly. She wasn't, um, you know, she wasn't like this mom supportive figure. Right. She was very what people would characterize her as abstract and cold and removed and well, how else are you and supposed to be not it's very, so tough out there right exactly and so in many ways i absolutely empathize with her as a as a woman in politics and what she has gone through all these years and and even like i said my experience with talking about my abortion and the kind of harassment um that i received and still to this day um you know you do start to develop just thick skin around it and it shouldn't have to be that way. Um, I think that that is part of the progress that we're making as women in general, whether that's in politics or in media or yeah. in, um, you know, corporate America, you name it. Um, the tech world, you know, these tech bros are a thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And, you know, but, but again, like we have to remember that not everyone is that way. And we do have woke men and we do have allies. Right. And we do have people who are incredibly supportive of what we're doing. And that's where you need to focus. Right. Like it's it's super easy to get caught up in all of the awful um, that is sometimes America. Yeah. Um, and it is sometimes your audience and trolls um, there. I always try to look at it from an empathetic point of view and saying like something is wrong with those people. They, I don't know what experience they had as children. I don't know what they're experiencing right now. I don't know what's happened in their life and it's not my job to care. Yeah. Right. It's not my job to figure it out, but uh, that is not going to produce hate in me. That is not going to produce any kind of wasted energy because my, my job and my goal in life is to be better yeah, and, and to be better, not only for myself, but to be better for my community. And the only way that you do that and to be better as a person. And the only way that you do that is by forcing yourself to ignore all of those people. And it's, it's a lot harder said than done. Mm -hmm. And, and you do to a certain extent, like build up a little bit of those walls and that thick skin. What I was going to ask you about was, was, uh, well, also with Hillary, I think it's interesting how many women voted against her or who didn't vote for her, which I thought was, you know, given the choice between the two, Trump and Hillary and women not voting for her was such an interesting thing, to, a reminder of how, uh, you know, women are kind of taught to not trust one another mm -hmm. and pitted against one another and like this internalized misogyny mm -hmm. that uh, is a real thing. And I, Absolutely. I, you know, like I was raised by misogynists. I had to unlearn that behavior. And, That's and, right. And then, uh, but I, I, I've seen it come up in me if I'm around a man and, I'm, and uh, I mean, I think I talked about this on that Free the Nipple episode where it'll come up, up in me, my, it's such ugly behavior. And uh, anyway, I don't even know what my point is. But, oh, Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. What were you going to say? No, I was yeah. just going to say that the the way that you deal with that, because you're right. Is like, be better. Is to surround yourself also with better people. Oh, That's yeah. why when you focus on the good. Oh, yeah. When and kindness. Yeah. And when consciousness. you focus on, on the, the incredibly supportive comments that you're getting. Oh, yeah. When you keep your mind and your energy focused on all of the good things that support you in your life and that are present in your life. That makes it so much easier when that ugly does come up, mm -hmm. you know, and you're and you you're kind like, of get ugh. into that extinct instinctual like, 
oh no, girl. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, like I'm I, I'm not going to celebrate you because if I celebrate you, then that means there's less attention on me, yeah. right? Like, no, because in fact, when I celebrate you, that it's creates more, more attention for all of it's us. It's expansive, exactly. yeah, and that's what we just have to focus on. How do you separate your personal life from your your work? It used to be um, a lot harder than it is now because I'm no longer an elected official. Um, for a long time, I, and also it was just my decision. I, I was really focused. I felt for a long time because of my background and everything that I managed to escape and, and the cycles that I was able to break, I felt like I was, and I didn't get my GD until I was 21. So I felt like I was making up for lost time, mm-hmm. you know? And so for me, I, I was very intentional. Like I didn't have time for a man. Yeah, and I didn't I, have time for that garbage. Yeah, right. I like bet. I am focused. I am driven. I am going to get these things done. Um, but then all of a sudden that was a year and then two years and then five years. And I'm like, holy cow, I haven't been on a date in like three years. And you almost have to and, work out that muscle, <laughs> that other muscle. Right. Yeah. And then so it actually that's not always a good thing. You do have to you have to at least try to achieve balance. I know that you don't always get to 100% balance, but but you always have to be intentional about trying to get there because it's super easy to get lost in your career and in the goal that you have in mind. Especially because you're making a difference too. You are other people's, you had a guardian angel who kind of changed your life, gave right. you this intense chance, and now you're helping people and other people's right. guardian angel and you're doing amazing yeah. work. So it's like yeah. to think that somebody could try to stifle you or, or I don't know, exactly. or get in the way of that exactly. is dangerous and scary. But then love is such a major Exactly. part of this existence. Yeah. So what do you do? It, well, you know, a couple of years ago, I started out, it's going to sound silly, but it, <laughs> not here. St- <laughs> Have you heard me speak at all ever? <laughs> You're fine. Okay. I started out because I realized one day that I really didn't have any friends. I'm right um, here. <laughs> here I am, Lucy. It's me. You're going to be my friend? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm oh so Oh, God. Excited. I'm like, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> I hope you return my text now. I'm like, I meant it on the podcast, Lucy. I was not I know. Around. I'd be like, uh, uh, that was, was for the show. I was kidding. Oh, God. <laughs> you're like, Nando, uh, get her away from me. <laughs> uh, your friend is weird. Oh, my uh, God. No. <laughs> Okay, so you realized you had no friends, and now I know why. Now I know why. Okay. Oh my gosh, it's so offensive. I'm super nice. Okay, we're gonna hang out. We're gonna hang out. We're here now, so I could prove. Okay. That I am like a really cool no, person. No, I get it. Okay. I'm, I see it already. Okay, okay, so tell me. So you really had no friends? I really had no friends. Okay. But it wasn't because I was like not a cool person. It was because I... You're busy. Literally, girl. like 100% of my life was focused on... Exonerating and things. helping. Yes, you know? exactly. Okay. And, um, and so I... But I did that intentionally, but also unintentionally. And so, you know, one day I was... It was New Year's Eve and... Long story short, I ended up all by myself. And oh like, how many years ago? Three years ago? This is about four years ago. This was pre the threats. Not to like, I'm like pre, no, the, pre the death threats. I'm like, well, casually saying it was either pre. It was either right before or right after. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. So and and you know, like I don't care. Like I'm one of those people who like I've gone on vacations by myself. Me too. And had like the best time. Seriously. Like even to this day, I, I like going to the movies by myself. See, that gets dangerous because I feel the same way you do. And sometimes I'm like, I love being alone so much. Who the hell are you? <laughs> I've got you. You're gonna. Right. I got a. You got. I'm gonna be worried if you're gonna accept me. Right. You know, I'd rather be well, alone. No, no, no. But it's not because you're worrying about people accepting you. Okay. It's just because you actually enjoy being by yourself. I do both things. Sometimes okay. I get irritated because I feel like I put somebody on a pedestal and I get okay. all insecure. Well, we definitely should not do that. Don't do that. Don't but do I also, that. I also like being but alone. You, but, but yes, yes that's, that's, that's actually it. really important. 
So I so it wasn't the fact that I was alone on New Year's Eve. It was the fact that like the four friends that I had like all ditched on me. And I was, you know, in this beach house in Mexico all by myself. And I was just like, oh, my God, what is my life? Yeah. You know, and that to me was my rock bottom. Oh, my God. (laughs) Wait, Trump being elected and you alone in well, a beach house? It sounds like like the beginning of some <laughs> sexy movie. That was your rock bottom? Okay. Yeah. Well, personally speaking, Got that it. was my rock bottom. Yeah. And I realized that I, I needed some friends. Yeah. And so, uh, what? and I had people in my life. It's just that I hadn't prioritized them. So, like, my... New Year's resolution that year was to get some friends. And I did. You know, I, I literally started making time out. I was like, okay, I this day I said I was going to go out with this person. I am going to do that no matter what comes up. Yeah. Um, you know, and I started making that a priority in my life. And so over the years, that has turned into also on the romantic side where oh, it's like, nice. all right. I I will go on a date or I will, you know, make the effort. Now, as an elected official, that was a lot harder because, like, I'm not on any kind of, you know, nowadays social media and, like, you know, Tinder and all that stuff. Like, I I yeah. never I don't use any of those things. Like, I can't do any online dating. Good. I don't think you should. Yeah. And uh, so, like, I do. Well, I just don't have, like, a lot of options that people have. And then also because my world was so small. Like, again, you know, we get sucked into these universes that we exist in. And yeah. so it was like, okay, well, it's my colleagues and all of them are like old and you know they're like a bunch of old crotchety white men yeah boring (laughs) not dating you and and you're like you're probably married and so if you're younger you're probably married and lobbyists not going there oh really um can't go there okay um interns like really your staffers exactly like not going there so who else right like who else yeah so there's like literally the pool was so small and there are no mixers no fun parties i mean there were but also because you are at that party as a public figure oh yeah and you know so like people know you as oh that's lucy flores or that's assemblywoman flores or whatever right and isn't it dangerous to sexualize yourself the minute you you're you're a woman it's like oh my god you can't be taken as seriously because now you're something That's to exactly be exactly right yes had sex with and so when people like even if i did meet men who i was potentially interested in they couldn't get over the fact that i was lucy flores right oh, wow. and so there was like also this imbalance of power um and you know men who just couldn't deal with the fact that uh, not they just couldn't deal with the fact of who i was and who woman, i am a badass right doing cool shit yeah all that. It's <laughs> true. I'll say it if you won't. I just did. Okay. So So it was like, like that was the that was the biggest issue when it came to like actually trying to have a dating life yeah. or you know some semblance of trying to be a single lady. Yeah. Um but now that I'm no longer in politics, well I am in politics, but no yeah. longer an elected official and I still have obviously a public profile, a national pro- national profile. Um, but I'm in a new city and I think it's just in it, you know, brand new worlds. I'm now in the, in a media world as well. Yeah. As like I said, as the VP over, uh, at me too. And so it's definitely exposing me to a lot more different people than I used to. I think it is a delicate dance though, to, to like be a woman and be strong and getting shit done and making a change. I don't know. And just, uh, a master at what she does and then also balancing your femininity in with it like and making as if that's allowed yeah. I don't it, know it no, is, it's it is, weird it is hard but here's men the thing men don't have to worry about that no not at all not at all absolutely not yeah. yeah and it's and it's really unfair it's irritating but what I what I think and what I suggest is that 
the only thing that you can do is what you're comfortable with. Like if you like, you know, for me, one of the examples that I always give is in my first year in Carson City as an intern, um, when I was working on that wrongful conviction legislation, I was so I was so afraid and scared and intimidated by that environment. Um, One, I was I was young. Yeah, I was a woman of color um, in a male dominated, a white male old male dominated world yeah the people that i saw there who looked like me were cleaning things oh my goodness right there there wasn't anyone who i could look up to and feel like they understood me and i just was so intimidated that for like the first week i i love makeup and i you know i love fashion like so i you're also a beautiful (laughs) babe i know there'll be a picture posted along with this podcast but i know you're like Making your eyelashes, your lips, your bee stung lips. You've got beautiful lipstick on your scarf. You're all stylish. You're, it's too much. It's incredible. Well, a, I, I okay. try. I Showstopper. Try. But, okay. So imagine. Okay, yeah. Imagine all of this gone. What? You know, I, no makeup? My hair back, very minimal makeup. Minimal? That's chic. You know, very, well, not in a chic way. Okay. Um, more like in a kind of frumpy, you know, try to, try to under underrepresent myself right like yeah. try oh, to, to protect you got to protect yourself yeah. and 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 just kind of stay below the radar even the playing field right yeah. and and so like i did that for like a couple days yeah because that is as long as i could do it really right where i was just like i love it, that it only took me a couple days to realize you know what it's not my job to deal with your stereotype Yes. Okay. I am going to ultimately be judged by what comes out of my mouth and what's in my brain before I'm judged by what you're looking at. And I know that's not the way that people operate. And so what that meant that I was going to have to work sometimes 10, 15, 20, 30 times harder than some of my male colleagues and, you know, some of the... uh, even my white female colleagues, right? Like yeah. I was going to have to prove myself in ways that they would never have to prove themselves simply because of the way that I look. Yeah. But I was willing to accept that in exchange for me being able to be who I am. Yes. And so as long as I kind of recognize that within myself and saying like, you know what, I'm not going to pretend to be someone who you find acceptable. Yeah. I am going to be myself. I love makeup. I love hair. I love exercising. I love, you know, at one point, um, you know, again, being a female in politics and not really being able to be you, um, Emily's List of all people, Mm -hmm. um, they took me off of a stage and said that I could not wear skirts anymore on because I'm a runner and I'm tall and my legs were too long. How tall and are you? I'm 5'8". Okay. Yeah. Sorry. It's, it's, I just want to know I'm 5'11", so I yeah. wanted to bond with you. Go oh, on. yeah. Well, you know, yeah. with heels, I'm also 5'10", yeah. 5'11". And, and I right. never wear heels because I'm always afraid of emasculating a man. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So it was like, so, you know, I was like, fine. I They wanted me to cut my hair. They wanted me to do all of these things. Really? And I refuse. There's actually an article where I talk about this in Vice. Um, oh, very cool. <laughs> I'm glad I really did my research here. Listen, I thought I did, but no, oh, my God. No, no, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, where I was just like, you know, look, if I lose an election because my hair is too long then that's your problem not mine yeah right that that speaks more to what's wrong with society totally. than what's wrong with me as a leader and as an elected official You're so you need to be 100 percent you so you can be and then other people look to you going wow she did it and she was true to herself that right. means i have permission to be true to myself right exactly and walk through it and, be and strong. i think like the more of us that do that and you just stop to you stop 
he really stopped paying attention to all those other things. Now, don't get me wrong, you, you know, there are there are certain trade-offs that you have to do, right? Like, I'm not okay. going to show up to de- to a debate with, you know... A boost uh, Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know why that came exactly. about. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, with, like, yeah. 1980s Madonna bustier, like, tassels, go, right? Go like, boots, yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to show up wearing yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you're going to show up doing what's appropriate for your environment. Yeah. But you shouldn't be afraid to be you, you know, to add what is unique about you to that job or or that industry. Um, And the more of us do that, the more that we collectively build power and the more that we collectively empower one another, um, you know, to really be ourselves and to be present as women in whatever industry we're in. I went through this weird moment. Wait, are you dating anyone now? None of my business. No. Okay, none of my business. And also, and also, you know not to answer anything that I ask. You, let's, you can you take care of your side of the street. Yeah. But um, I was thinking, so I, I didn't date for like four months, and, uh, and now I'm starting to date again. And I have this weird thing in my mind where I feel like I need to have, I need to laugh with the person I'm dating. I want to have great sexual chemistry, but I also want to be really seen and accepted and understood by that person. And I feel like the last two people I dated really saw me, understood me, liked mm-hmm. the way my brain works, thought it was funny. But we didn't laugh and there's no sexual chemistry. Mm. So now I've met this one person that I feel very like animalistic, like, oh, and he's smart and we laugh. But now I feel like, but I don't know if he gets how intense my mind. I don't know if he truly sees me. And I'm so confused why I feel the need to like prove myself and be seen. I don't know if any of this makes sense. But this is my current dilemma of like having gone on a but date with somebody. But it's my Are you need. sure that he doesn't see you? No, in that that's way? me being like, I don't know, creating a problem, creating drama, finding the need I mean, to like, have you given this person the opportunity to truly understand you in a more substantive, deeper way? We've only been on one date. Then I think the answer is no. <laughs> uh, you could have listened to all my podcasts, you know? <laughs> there might have been. Oh, God, oh, God. So a little overreacting some, here. Give it some time then? Yes. Well, because then also, but I also I do wonder, like, why do I need. Why can't I just know who I am, be grounded in myself, like myself, and then have a nice time with another person and not need them to, uh, qu- you know, qualify me or, or accept me or, or I mean, not. Well, it sounds to shouldn't. me like you are grounded and you do know who you are and you do know what you want. But yeah. maybe you're just not willing to explore that and give it enough time with to per- actually, yeah, to get there. This is the real reason is you're this, here. <laughs> is this a part of the whole needing to be accepted part? Maybe. Because here's here's the thing, like, you know, it sounds to me like, one, you have not given this person an opportunity to... It takes time. Uh, yes. We'll get to know each other. It, yeah, yeah. It, yes. To actually um, have <laughs> the chance to prove to you that they're connecting with you on a deeper level and that, yeah. they, that they respect, you know, your intellectual abilities and, and the package that you are. Yeah. Um, but also, I just, you know, when you go into any situation knowing who you are and really proud of the person that you are, there really isn't much that anybody can say romantic or otherwise that is going to make you question uh, your worth. Oh, you're so in right. Any way. Um, now that doesn't mean that you're not going to ever feel insulted or that. You oh, know, I do. People, yeah, yeah. I mean like <laughs> that's just normal. That's just being a human. But 
but they're, they're never going to be able to cut you down in a way where you start to question your validity as a person and who you are. Because you're so grounded in yourself already. Right. Yeah. And, and you recognize, again, that it's their problem, not yours. And when you're empathetic to people like, you know, if someone doesn't like me um, because for whatever reason, that's okay. Right. Because... Mm-hmm. I mean, like there's this one quote and I'm not saying it right, but it's my favorite quote in the whole world where yeah. where uh, basically it's it says, um, if someone doesn't want to hang out with me, I feel bad for you because who would deny who would deny themselves the privilege of my company? Exactly. <laughs> right? Oh, my goodness. So yeah. it's like, um, OK, that's fine. But I feel bad for you because you could have had a really good time. Yeah, you know? you're really missing out. Yeah, yeah. you're missing out. And like, but like I legitim, but you legitimately believe that, right? Yeah. And and the thing is, is that what that then allows you to do is recognize that there is somebody else out there who does want the privilege of your company. Yeah. Right. And lots of people who want the privilege of your company. Um, and and that's it. Yeah. Right. You don't go any further. You don't. There's <sighs> no no additional thinking necessary. Yeah. And that's it. That's good. Okay, I'm I'm working on trying not to be so easily rattled by outside forces, and I'm I'm doing that less and less. But uh, you just made me feel very good. You reminded <laughs> me of what's what. I also think that um, that you're one of those people who tends to overthink things. Oh, what made you think that? Oh, okay. yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Everything. Five minutes of one yeah. of your podcasts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you should see how I text him. It's exhausting. It's like <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I do. Well, I'm, I'm, well, I was going to, that would be really mean, but I was going to say, I'm surprised he's stuck around that long. Wait, oh, him? <laughs> yes. Oh, what do you mean? For the, for the year? Yeah. <laughs> because oh. of all the texting and the. Oh, he has no choice. I, I mean, you have Is a choice. Is it either that or be unemployed or something? Oh, you like me. I know you do. I don't even have to ask. <laughs> I think he cares about me more and more. Right. Hey, well, guess what? what? If he doesn't like you, who cares? Who cares, who Aristotle? Cares, Aristotle? We don't care about oh, you. Oh man, I mean, I care. <laughs> um, my God, well, do we do we say it all? Do we help humanity enough with this experience on the, to all the kids who are you know posting selfies of themselves who are going to be listening to this and then having the opportunity to learn about something deeper and more substantial? Do we say everything that needs to be said? I think so. I, you know, look, I, Ugh. I just want to say that I get it. I, I understand that. People have other things going on in their lives. Um, their Snapchat, their Snapchat, Insta stories. Yeah, that's sales. Important. Hey, that's important. Yeah. It, it is right. Like my other thing too is that we're only on this earth one time. Like regardless of what your your uh, spiritual beliefs are, etc., you're only cognizantly aware of one life. That's a great point. Cognizantly right? aware. Yeah. Yeah. Like even if I had previous lives or whatever spiritual or religious inclination you have. Even if all, that might be true, doesn't really matter because you're only aware of this one lifetime and and you only have one chance to try to make the best of it. Yeah. And and as long as you keep your perspective focused on that, then I think that really gives you the ability to, you know, be really open about your experiences and to participate in your community and and to try to you know make your experience and everybody else's experience as good an experience that we can have yeah and and you know as you're going through your life doing your job and and 
focusing on your social media and, and enjoying your life and living the best life possible. Living your life. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Just remember that a part of that is about being a good person and building community. And then the only way that you can do that is by getting involved a little bit. You know, so again, like I get it. There's priorities, there's other things, there's, um, and sometimes people don't have the privilege. I mean, people are so, there's a lot of people who are so stressed out. People are broke. People are broke. And, yeah. Right. And, you know, experience, some people experiencing really horrific things in this country, you know, and young people were experiencing hunger and child abuse and witnessing crime and you know things that that young people should not be experiencing yeah um things that you know even i sometimes can't are really unimaginable um so i i get that the only way that we make any of those things better is by taking just a few minutes of your time and educating yourself and becoming aware of your community and then taking some action yeah um, that is inspired by you know, you paying attention. I agree. And I think because Aristotle and I have had moments, and I know you've refused to go on the mic today, but uh, you do what you need to do. I understand. I'm not trying to control you. We can coexist <laughs> together. I love you. I think you should love me too. That's not my business. Because um, we've had the moments where, you know, Aristotle, you'll be like, oh, everything's fucked. That kind of vibe where it's like, oh, everything's doomed. It's over. Oh, God. And I'm like, no, but you got to keep your heart open. Like, you got you to gotta stay open and just try to do what you can. And it's about, like, you know, an exchange of walking past somebody on the street and smiling and having a ripple effect and doing That's what right. you can. That's keep exactly your heart. right. That, that part is exactly right. So, so we got to do that, right, Aristotle? Yeah. No more despair. No more despair. keep our hearts open. There's, there's plenty to be despaired about. If you're going to say something, the audience wants to know what the hell you're talking about. I'm not just the the doom and gloom guy, though. I've been on the other side of that. You have been? Okay. In these conversations. Okay, so your heart is open then? Is that, hey, hey, is your heart open now after we've talked to Lucy? Yes. And are you, and do you have love for me and, and we're friends? Yes. Aww. Really? I feel like I've accomplished something here today. Yes. Yes, yes! <laughs> Victory! Lucy, you've been the guest ever on the love alexi podcast thank you so much you're welcome and you know what i have done my job you've made everybody who's listening including me and Aristotle, better people <laughs> this is the most important podcast we've ever done we should just never do another podcast ever that's wrong now well, i'm inspired no, I, I'm ins- I, I don't agree with that i think we should do you should have me and Nando on together. I would that love would that. That would be fun, right? And then we Although, get... wait, because I'm not going to sit here and like watch you. I am over like, him. And, over him. You know? No, no, no. I'm so... I will have to put my foot down. No, I'm over it. I'm totally, I don't even, listen, no. And then we can get to the bottom. It's going to be great. We can get to the bottom of whether his name is Nando or Nando. <laughs> and we will really hit the hard hitting topics. But thank you yes. so much for being on the Love Lexi podcast. I really enjoyed being here. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Man, what a wild ride that was. Um, Well, thank you. Uh, It was so nice meeting Lucy. What a great conversation. And as promised, here's Madonna's badass acceptance speech. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Billboard's Woman of the Year for 2016, Madonna. Banana, so. First of all, I want to um, 
I want to say thank you to Labyrinth. That was an amazing, amazing uh, performance. Can I put this down? Sorry. Seriously? It's better this way. I always feel better with something hard between my legs. Thank you for acknowledging my ability to continue my career for 34 years in the face of blatant misogyny, sexism, constant bullying, and relentless abuse. When I started, there was no internet, so people had to say it to my face. There were very few people I had to clap back at because life was simpler then. When I first moved to New York, I was a teenager. It was 1979, and New York was a very scary place. In the first year, I was held up at gunpoint, raped on a rooftop with a knife digging into my throat, and I had my apartment broken into and robbed so many times, I just stopped locking the door. In the years to follow, I lost almost every friend I had to AIDS or drugs or gunshot. As you can imagine, all these unexpected events not only helped me become the daring woman that stands before you, but it also reminded me that I am vulnerable. And in life, there is no real safety except self-belief and an understanding that I am not the owner of my talents. I'm not the owner of anything. Everything I have is a gift from God. And even the up things that happened to me that still happen to me are also gifts to teach me lessons and make me stronger. I'm receiving an award for being woman of the year, so I ask myself, what can I say about being a woman in the music business? What can I say about being a woman? When I first started writing songs, I didn't think in a gender-specific way. I didn't think about feminism. I just wanted to be an artist. I was, of course, inspired by Debbie Harry and Chrissy Hine and Aretha Franklin, but my real muse was David Bowie. He embodied male and female spirit, and that suited me just fine. He made me think there were no rules, but I was wrong. There are no rules if you're a boy. If you're a girl, you have to play the game. What is that game? You are allowed to be pretty and cute and sexy, but don't act too smart. Don't have an opinion. Don't have an opinion that is out of line with the status quo, at least. You are allowed to be objectified by men and dress like a slut, but don't own your sluttiness. And do not, I repeat, do not share your own sexual fantasies with the world. 
Be what men want you to be. But more importantly, be what women feel comfortable with you being around other men. And finally, do not age, because to age is a sin. You will be criticized, you will be vilified, and you will definitely not be played on the radio. When I first became famous, there were nude photos of me in Playboy and Penthouse magazine. Photos that were taken from art schools that I posed for back in the day to make money. They weren't very sexy. In fact, I looked quite bored. I, w I was. Um, but I was expected to feel ashamed when these photos came out. And I was not. And this puzzled people. Eventually, I was left alone because I married Sean Penn. And not only would he bust a cap in your ass, but I was taken off the market. So for a while, I was not considered a threat. Years later, divorced and single, sorry, Sean, I made my erotica album and my sex book was released. I remember being the headline of every newspaper and magazine. And everything I read about myself was damning. I was called a whore and a witch. One headline compared me to Satan. I said, wait a minute. Isn't Prince running around with fishnets and high heels and lipstick with his butt hanging out? Yes, he was. But he was a man. This was the first time I truly understood that women really did not have the same freedom as men. I remember feeling paralyzed. It took me a while to pull myself together and get on with my creative life, to get on with my life. I took comfort in the poetry of Maya Angelou and the writings of James Baldwin and in the music of Nina Simone. I remember wishing that I had a female peer that I could look to for support. Camille Paglia, the famous feminist writer, said that I set women back by objectifying myself sexually. Oh, I thought, so if you're a feminist, you don't have sexuality, you deny it. So I said, it. I'm a different kind of feminist. I'm a bad feminist. People say that I'm so controversial, but I think the most controversial thing I have ever done is to stick around. What I would like to say to all the women here today is this. Women have been so oppressed for so long, they believe what men have to say about them. And they believe 
They have to back a man to get the job done. And there are some very good men worth backing, but not because they're men, because they're worthy. As women, we have to start appreciating our own worth and each other's worth. Seek out strong women to befriend, to align yourself with, to learn from, to be inspired by, to collaborate with, to support, to be enlightened by. As I said before, it's not so much about receiving this award as it is having this opportunity to stand before you and really say thank you as a woman, as an artist, as a human. Not only to the people who have loved and supported me along the way, so many of you are sitting in front of me right now, you have no idea. You have no idea how, how much your support means. But to the doubters, the naysayers, to everyone who gave me hell and said I could not, that I would not, that I must not, your resistance made me stronger, made me push harder, made me the fighter that I am today, made me the woman that I am today. So thank you. Now leaving Nerdist.com.